Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today I have on the first segment of the program, Father Wade Manesis. Father Wade is going to be coming out to Spokane to lead a retreat on the Eucharist. Isn't that exciting? In just over a week at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. And then I'm going to be talking about the, the great theme of the gospel and how we grow as disciples. We go deeper into our discipleship, especially through reading books. And I'm going to be sharing with you some of my favorite books. One only today, though. What book that is, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we love you. We thank you, and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of the gospel, and that we are called to grow as disciples, followers of your son, Jesus, please grant us the, the stirring of your Holy Spirit in our hearts today, that we would uh, honor you, that we would follow Jesus as Lord, as Savior more fully. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, especially for the gift of the Eucharist and for the gift of growing in our faith. Lord, give us, again, insight and wisdom in how to do that. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to go to that interview for the first segment of the program with Father Wade Manesis, uh, the Father of Mercy, who you hear regularly on EWTN, on the call-in show. And uh, he, again, he has a ministry that brings him all over the country. And I'm thrilled that uh, if you are in uh, striking distance of Spokane, you're able to get out here for a retreat, to be able to spend a weekend with him is a beautiful gift. And it's, again, it's something to really think about. And again, in this season of the year, it, it's a great time to get away and to step apart, especially with uh, Lent starting so early this year to be able to do a pre-Lent opportunity to reflect and retreat. Beautiful gift. So hope you'll consider that. And again, we'll get to him in just a couple of minutes. I first want to say I'm thrilled to be able to be back on the radio. You can maybe even still hear a little bit of my voice but boy, I've been sick for almost two weeks. Uh, this, I, I'm sure that how many of you have had those, those, you know, it's a flu that it just hits sinus headache. And then you've got the, the fever and the sore throat, and then you've got the chest congestion. So some blending, some concoction of, of viruses has just landed on the current home and spread through everybody and landed in particular on two of us, myself and my daughter, Annalise, uh, both of us were sort of down and out for about two weeks. It was terrible. I just, I, I don't like being sick. <laughs> but here we are. It's not ordinary time. Christmas season, the, the liturgical season of Christmas is over. Epiphany was last Sunday. The Feast of the Baptism of the Lord was on Monday. And now here we are. And we are entering into the extraordinary life of a disciple of Jesus. Even though they call it ordinary time, 
right? We have a few weeks before we hit the Lenten season. It's a great moment to stop and reflect on what does it mean to live as a disciple and to fulfill our mission in the world to proclaim the gospel. So I'm going to dig into that after the interview with Father Wade. So let's enjoy the interview with Father Wade. And then when we come back after that, I'm going to talk about how we go deeper into faith, in particular through books and through reflection on books that will help us get insight into the gospel. I'm excited to do that in after the interview with Father Wade. So let's get to that now. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Father Wade Manises. Father Wade is going to be coming out to the Spokane area to lead a retreat on the gift of the Most Holy Eucharist. Welcome to the program, Father Wade. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be with you again, and Happy New Year, and Blessed New Year to you and your family. Amen. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. So we're we're in ordinary time, but you're here to come and talk about something that's extraordinary in the midst of ordinary time. Is there really such a thing as an ordinary time for a follower of Jesus? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Mother uh, Teresa, St. Mother Teresa, said that we are to live our ordinary lives in a very extraordinary way. So I think I think you're on to something. But yes, uh, during this uh, three-year Eucharistic revival in honor of the source and summit of the entire Christian life, the Most Holy Eucharist, I will be out in Spokane at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, the Diocesan Retreat Center there, out on Ben Burr Road, giving a weekend retreat uh, the weekend of January 19th through the 21st, that Friday evening at 6 is when it begins, and it ends on Sunday at 1 p.m. So we're hoping for a great turnout. The title of my weekend retreat is The Most Holy Eucharist, Gift and Sacrament. And there's five talks throughout the weekend. Uh, the first talk is titled The Eucharist as Foreshadowed in Both the Old and New Testament. You know, uh, a lot of Catholics think that the Eucharist is just a New Testament uh, doctrine, a New Testament reality, a New Testament uh, phenomena as far as the miracle of transubstantiation goes. And while that is true in regards to its institution as a sacrament, it was instituted on the night of the arrest, right? Holy Thursday night, uh, the night before our Lord died uh, in the upper room at the Last Supper, uh, it is greatly foreshadowed in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You know, Melchizedek, the, the Old Testament high priest offered bread and wine. Uh, that mysterious manna, bread-like substance that rained down on the Israelites for 40 years to sustain them in the desert after their escape from Egyptian slavery. Uh, the, the list goes on and on, and the New Testament foreshadowings, like the multiplication of the loaves. Um, it's the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels. How about that, right? The fact that Jesus was born in a, in a town that means house of bread, Bethlehem. The fact that our Blessed Mother laid him in a manger, an eating trough, right, should be a foreshadowing of the Eucharist that was to be instituted on the up, on, in the upper room on the night of the arrest. So night number two, or, or talk number two, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in parish mission mode. I don't mean night number two. I mean talk number two over the course of the, the weekend retreat. Uh, the talk is of the church fathers on Eucharistic doctrine, what the church fathers of the first eight centuries, many of them, what they had to say about the Eucharist. Uh, talk number three is rekindling Eucharistic amazement. Uh, more modern-day saints in the Eucharist, like St. Mother Teresa and John Paul II. Talk number four is the most blessed of the blessed sacraments. Why do we call the Eucharist the most blessed sacrament? You ever think about that? Uh, doesn't that title somehow imply that it's more blessed than the other six sacraments? We'll talk about that. And then uh, 
Talk number five is a, is a great one, uh, Eucharistic miracles. And we'll look at some of the Eucharistic miracles that have been approved by the church uh, in regards to where a, a, a consecrated host has visibly turned into uh, flesh and blood. So we'll look at some of those approved Eucharistic miracles. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I know we have around 20 to 22 signed up right now. Uh, I'm hoping for at least uh, to double that. I know that Immaculate Heart Retreat Center can accommodate that many. So uh, we're hoping for a great turnout. Yeah, Father Wade, uh, you're, you are someone that's very uh, well-received out here. And I know very excited. So I'm excited to be able to get the word out. And not only to get the word out to be able to come and, and to benefit and be blessed by your teaching, but very much about this topic. Because for so many Catholics, the reality of, the Eucharist as the true and real presence of Jesus Christ and what that means for our lives of faith is something that yeah. has waned. And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why we have this three year of Eucharistic renewal and revival. And so your, your theme of Eucharistic amazement, I, I, I love that word, Eucharistic amazement. How do we foster or rekindle a sense of Eucharistic amazement? Well, you know, we, we look to the sacrament to be what it is. And it is truly from the words of consecration onwards at every mass uh, no longer ordinary bread and wine, but really, truly, and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what the church calls the source and summit of the entire Christian life. You know, uh, there's a beautiful uh, passage, both in Lumen Gentium, the Vatican II document, uh, on the church, uh, and also from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1324, both tell us that the other six sacraments, and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate, regardless of what they are, are all bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. Okay, that's pretty powerful. For in the Blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself. Okay, namely Christ himself. So, I want the people to come rekindle their Eucharistic amazement with a strong, personal, revived faith in these profound truths regarding the Most Holy Eucharist and welcome our Eucharistic Lord and King into their lives, uh, Tom, as they never have before. Uh, this is a parish mission meant for all. Uh, it's, it's meant for uh, singles. It's meant for marrieds. It's meant for widows and widowers, uh, other uh, religious consecrated men and women, diocesan priests, uh, re religious order men and women. Uh, it, it's a message meant for all because the Eucharist is for all. And let us not forget, Tom, it's also one of the three sacraments of initiation, which means what? It means once you have these three sacraments, you are fully in membership with the Catholic Church. And that is baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. Once you have all three of those, you are fully, fully in membership with the Catholic Church. You're not just a Catholic, like with baptism in the Catholic Church, but you're fully in membership with the Catholic Church once you have Eucharist and confirmation as well. And, and these three sacraments and their one category of initiation complement the other two categories of the other four sacraments. So we have the two sacraments of union and mission which is the sacrament of matrimony and the sacrament of holy orders, right? And then the two sacraments of healing. We have the anointing of the sick and holy confession. So seven sacraments, three categories, the three sacraments of initiation, two sacraments of, of, of mission and, and union or union and mission, also known as the two sacraments of vocation, matrimony and holy orders, and then the two sacraments of healing. And we're going to talk about how, how the Eucharist as the source and summit of the entire Christian life feeds these other six sacraments. So it truly is a, a retreat meant for all states in life and all vocations. 
That's so beautiful. So, Father Wade, as you travel around in your apostolate and the great work you do at EWTN, where so many folks are coming to you and listening to you, how have you found the Eucharist as a point of focus for our lives of faith, that source and summit that you're talking about, through something like adoration, uh, as oh. a way of helping deepen and, and revive faith? Please talk about that. It greatly, greatly increases faith. Even if a parish, Tom, only has Eucharistic adoration one time per week, let's say on a Friday, the, the day that Jesus died, you often see parishes that may not have a perpetual Eucharistic adoration chapel, but they might expose the Blessed Sacrament one day a week in their church. On a Friday, let's say, after the 8 o'clock Mass, maybe around 8.40, they, the priest will expose the Blessed Sacrament, and it stays exposed throughout the entire day till after or till just before the evening mass, the evening weekday mass that's celebrated by his associate pastor, let's say. Uh, and to have the signups of the parish to come into adore our Lord throughout the day, it greatly, greatly transforms the parish. I have seen it time and time again. The people are more faithful. The confessional lines get longer. The homilies are stronger. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just see the revival taking place because again, every all works of the apostolate, all the other six sacraments, they're all oriented towards the most holy Eucharist as Vatican II and as uh, Council of Trent as well, really, but in different wording. And, uh, and also the Universal Catechism all teach us. So it makes sense that everything is transformed when a prominent focus is placed on our Lord in the most blessed sacrament in his real, true and abiding presence. And it's, it's incredible how a parish can be transformed. So, Father Wade, you're coming out to do this retreat. It's coming up It's just a, in a week and a half from now, on the 19th to the 21st of January at the Immaculate Heart Correct. Retreat Center. I think there's an incredible gift of being able to step apart from your ordinary life, step apart to make a retreat where it can become a point of focus. You can be intentional. You can quiet down. You can step away. Talk about the gift yeah. that a retreat focusing on the Blessed Sacrament, on the gift of the Eucharist. Sure, sure. So so first of all, the word retreat means what? It means to pull back from, right? We talk about the soldiers re retreating from the front lines of battle, let's say, either to rest or because the war is coming to an end, uh, whatever. They retreat, they, they pull back. Well, that's what the laity or the religious who are attending a retreat do. They're pulling back, Tom, from their everyday norm of activity. They're pulling back, they're retreating, and they're entering into in this case, partial silence is not a fully silent retreat because I want participation from the people that I'm preaching to during the retreat. My, my talks are very catechetical in nature, and I want it to be a very much a learning retreat on the great gift that the Eucharist is. So it's a it's partial silence. So when the talk is over, each talk is over, we do enter into a, a, a type of silence, a quasi silence, a partial silence, so that people can have a quiet time with our Lord, make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament in the chapel. Uh, have more time to prepare for Mass, pray Vespers and Lauds with the other retreatants. Uh, and it's a beautiful time to just have that quiet and to focus on, per se, the source and summit of the Christian life, the Most Holy Eucharist. And of course, we have Mass each day. So that's going to feed the retreatants as well, literally, uh, with the Eucharist. And ample time for confession. So really, personal renewal. And then because of that personal renewal that the individual obtains at the retreat, they go back out into the midst of the modern world, their families, their marriages, their workplace, and they're refreshed and they're renewed. And hopefully they're able to share in a way that's appropriate for the different veins of life, 
uh, they're able to share in an appropriate way through evangelization, the great gift that the Eucharist is, the great gift that our Catholic faith is, etc. And that's what I want. You know, Vatican II teaches that every disciple of Christ is responsible in his or her own measure for the spread of the faith. Now, what does in his or her own measure mean? It means according to your state in life, according to your vocation, you are called to have an influence within your own sphere of influence in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that's appropriate, in a way that's convicting. And I want the retreatants to be able to do this in a, in a way that's particularly focused on the Eucharist as the source and summit for their own lives as Catholics. And that's what I'm hoping the, the whole retreat aura, the whole retreat ambiance will will aid them with that. It's not just an instruction during the five talks per se. Really, a retreat is an instruction every minute that they're on retreat. The silence, uh, the, the conversations during the meals, uh, to share faith with another retreatant, uh, to partake in the talks themselves, either as a listener and or, in my case, as an active participator in the catechesis. And I want them to be fed in that regard. And so a retreat just can really offer all of these things with its uh, environment and the setting that it offers to the individual. Yeah, again, I'm talking today with Father Wade Manises. Father Wade has uh, been very gen uh, generous in offering us some time to help spread the word about this retreat he's giving. It's coming up in just, again, a week and a half, the 19th to the 21st, at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center in Spokane. Folks, one of the great gifts of being in the presence of someone like Father Wade is that on a retreat is that you move from just information to insight and encounter. And so a lot of times transformation in our lives of faith is going to come more than just sitting and reading a book. But when right. you can be in the presence of other faith-filled people and being informed in the way that Father Wade is going to be teaching, instructing, catechizing, it'll lead to insight. But that insight is also going to be leading to an encounter, the actual encounter with Christ present in the Blessed Sacrament in times of adoration, and then especially at the source and summit of our life of faith at the Eucharist. Father, I think that's what so many Catholics are hungry for is transformation. And just the last minute, I just uh, give you a, a final chance to invite folks to come out and experience that transformation. Yeah, again, you know, you can experience that transformation through this retreat uh, in the midst of the three-year Eucharistic revival called for by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops at Immaculate Heart Retreat Center there. Uh, it's, it's a retreat center owned and operated by the diocese itself. Usually retreat houses are owned by religious orders. So Spokane has a jewel there and that this is something that the diocese, the, the diocese itself of Spokane, Washington owns and operates. And there's many, many retreats there throughout the year. And I will be there myself to give this three-day retreat Friday through Sunday titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament. And uh, over the course of those three days, and you can still register online at their website, at the Immaculate Retreat Center website, and also call them and register over the phone. You can do that as well. They're easy enough to find online. And uh, I'm hoping for a great turnout for this retreat. The, the most holy Eucharist gift and sacrament, because that's exactly what it is. It's a gift and it's a sacrament. That's Father Wade. Father Wade, thank you so much for giving me time again today. The website, I'll give more information after Father Wade steps off. It's ihrc.net. Thank you so much, Father Wade. I appreciate the time today. Thank you for this opportunity. God bless you now. Take care. Well, there you go. That was a beautiful blessing of having Father Wade Menises on. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to focus on the reality of 
growing as a disciple, in particular through reading. I'm going to recommend some books to you, not only today, but in the days to come, and share with you some insights that have helped me grow as a disciple and grow in the act of manifesting a missionary spirit. How do I live the gospel in a way that shares the gospel with others? And we'll talk about that today by reflecting on a particular book by Henri de Lubac. What book is it? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Come back to the program. It's great to be with you. So I've been pondering, thinking myself about, you know, I, I want to be a gift to you. I want, as we launch into this new year and, and you're discerning and, and attempting to live out your own resolutions, one of the things that I'm resolved to do is to help you grow in faith by sharing with you a little bit more about the sources that have helped me come to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and how to go forth on mission. Father Wade talked about that, that uh, when we are uh, receiving the Eucharist, we are you know, drawn towards the heart, the center, the high point of our life of faith. But then we go forth into the world. So we have that direction that is leading into the encounter with Christ. And then we flow from that encounter with Christ, right? So uh, I, I was reflecting at the very beginning of the week on the the, the the central message of our life of faith, the central message of Christianity, right? Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that message becomes a message about Jesus. And then the question becomes, how do we grow in our own concrete reality? How do we grow in our relationship with Jesus? So that made me think and say, wait a minute, at the beginning of this year, are you making it a priority? Are you putting it out there as a goal to grow in your relationship with Jesus, to, to grow in your understanding of the gospel, to grow in how you live at the service of the gospel, how you are letting the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the king of this kingdom, to shine forth into this world. And it it made me think, when I was reflecting on this, it made me think and say, wait a minute, one of the ways that I have benefited, I've been so greatly blessed in my own walk of faith, is by uh, reading and reflecting on different uh, texts. And I'm proposing that in this new year, you can grow in your relationship with the Lord. Make that a goal. Make that an actual goal by reading books and and reading books that will actually um, be a confident place that 
you will be stretched, that you will extend, that you will expand. Um, there's a reason, one reason why I'm emphasizing reading books, and, and I'm actually, I've got physical books in my hand, is because of the way in which the use of technology is advancing more and more and more in, in ways that are, are frankly just disturbing, in ways that are not just like troubling because of how much time is given over to um, to the use of technology, but also just because of the, uh, not just, because of the negative impacts that using technology has on us as human beings and in our spiritual life. And so the use of technology by its very nature, by the function, the, the very form that technology has, especially technology that's communicating content to us, right? So our screens, right? Whether it's a smart TV, whether it's a laptop, whether it's, well, for most of us, it's our, uh, our, our smartphones, right? Uh, we are taking in content, video content. And again, these short form videos, these like TikTok videos or video shorts um, or podcasts even, it's still using technology in a way that is attempting to inform us. And there's a way in which it becomes very difficult to experience silence. It becomes very difficult to be still. And in being still, it, there, there's something that gets lost. Uh, the ability to ponder, to, to, to like weigh something, to, or to let the weight of something be able to advance in us is something that uh, is just becomes that much more difficult. And, and it, it becomes a lessened capacity in us when we settle for just using devices and technology. So one of my goals this year is to replace as much as possible the time I would spend on my smartphone or on my laptop with reading books. And so I have in front of me like five or six books that I am going to be reflecting on and using time to, to read. And the funny thing is, is that, uh, this was inspired by Kerry. Kerry took out the Confessions of St. Augustine and the Bar and the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. <laughs> Some light reading. And, and she was like, hey, are these books worth reading? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, profound, right? The Confessions of St. Augustine, if you haven't read them, it, it's profound, right? Now, book 11, where he talks about time, that that's a head scratcher, right? But the the profundity, the depth of insight that is shared by Augustine in his confessions, and then using great literature like uh, something like Dostoevsky, or what am I doing? I, I I took it. I got inspired by that, and so I picked back up the Lord of the Rings. Yes, the the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings. Those those three parts. I know how much that trilogy, that set of books, The Lord of the Rings, had impacted my life that I was like, you know what? I haven't read it in a couple of years. Time to go back. And so I've been doing that. And it has been refreshing how easy it has been 
to set aside using technology and instead reading the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, the Lord of the Rings has so many themes that just are beautifully laid out. For instance, discernment in, in the Fellowship of the Ring in this first volume of the Lord of the Rings, the number of times and, and ways in which uh, J.R.R. Tolkien will highlight some beautiful and profound insights taken from our scriptural and Catholic and Christian tradition of discernment about having a sensitivity to the good and evil that is around us, to what's showing up, who's showing up, what are they saying, sensing presence, the presence of good or evil inside and outside, and um, being feeling promptings to move forward or to hold back, promptings to go or to stay, promptings to say something or to hold back something. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so many of the themes that are woven through these volumes are all about, guess what? The unexpected call that breaks into our lives in a, in a time and in a way that we probably weren't aware of and we become surprised by, and it can be overwhelming. And yet we are given the resources we need to say yes. We're not forced to, but we are asked to. We are invited into the role, the part that is ours to play. And so the Lord of the Rings is, is something that I will talk more about later, but that's not the book I'm intending to share some insights with you today. That book is by Henri de Lubac called Paradoxes of Faith. Now, Paradoxes of Faith, published by Ignatius Press, is a book that we covered in our book club. Our, our Monday morning edition will cover books now and again um, with these wonderful priests that I have on. And, and we covered Paradoxes of Faith. It must have been 10 years ago. And there's no way to cover this book in, in one short hour. But what I decided to do today was to give you a gift. And that gift is to share with you insights taken from Paradoxes of Faith that have a common thread or theme to them. And that is the proclamation of the gospel. And this theme as a disciple that we are called to proclaim the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're called to do that in our time and in our way. It's a very Lord of the Rings type theme. And when I was reflecting on this Lord of the Rings type theme, I'm like, paradoxes of faith. That book had such a profound effect on me. I want to share that with you, dear, sweet brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to be able to benefit from the best of the writings that I've been, that have come into my hands that were handed on to me so that they would be a blessing to you. So as I'm doing this, as I'm sharing these quotes, I've got, I don't know, like six or seven quotes that I'll be handing on to you in the course of this program. I want you to be thinking about not only, hopefully, these insights that come from Henri de Lubac that I'll be handing on to you, but it might also, again, be something that makes you stop and say, oh, wow, I'm impacted by these quotes personally. I'm going to take action on them myself, but then stop and say, am I making time and space in my life to be reflective, to sit in silence, to make room for reading? and pondering in that 
reading, pondering, to reflect, to allow a, a concept, an idea to go deeper and deeper into me so that I become transformed by it. It finds a home in me. And then I begin to live that truth in my life. And, and then for you to stop and think, well, what are the books in my life? What are those sources in my life that I have found to be so transformative that I want to hand on to my loved ones? And so I'm going to encourage you to be thinking about that, to make a short list of books that are a blessing in your life, that you would want to make sure that your kids or grandkids learn about know about or you're able to hand on those insights to them as well okay so that's my invitation that's my invitation to you i'm going to take a break and come back with more sound insight come back to the program all right so here we are Henri de Lubac, he was a Catholic, uh, Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and he was raised to the status of being a cardinal in the church. Um, not because he ended up being like the bishop of a, or an archbishop of a see of a diocese, but rather because of his great work as a theologian, the immensity of his scholarship and the impact that it had at Vatican II and beyond, uh, Pope John Paul II, um, who knew him and thought very highly of him, um, bestowed on him the honor of uh, naming him a cardinal as a sign of the impact that he had on the church. So in his book, Paradoxes of Faith, he writes these poignant paragraphs or a couple sentences thematically divided. And I'm going to share some with you. And I want you to hold on to this theme. This theme is, is really around the concept of the gospel and how we draw close to Christ, the one who is the good news. And then we're called upon to bring Christ to the world, right? So that's the, that's the overarching theme. These quotes are meant to get you to ponder with me and to hand on and receive the gift that I've received from Henri de Lubac in this wonderful book, Paradoxes of Faith. Here we go. How should Christianity be presented? How should it be adapted to those I must evangelize? <laughs> A legitimate and necessary worry. But if this is the first impulse, if it too readily takes precedence over the apostle's concern for his personal development and his own evangelization, it, conceal, it can conceal much naive pride, even when the second of uh, our interrogations is replaced by the following more orthodox one. How should I adapt myself? Excuse me. The essential question must always be, what is Christianity? How can I express it to myself? How can I open all the regions of my mind to it? And questions like this, we will never be done answering. Christianity is not an object that we can hold in our hand. It is a mystery before which we are always ignorant and uninitiated. 
I want to go over that again. I'm going to read it to you one more time because it begins with a very natural concern, right? The, the entry point is, how do I present my faith in Christ? How do I present this reality that I'm a Catholic Christian disciple of Jesus? But that's not, according to De Lubac, that shouldn't be the first question. Um, how should I present Christianity? How should it be adapted to those that I evangelize? And he said, this is, a, this is a legitimate worry. It's a necessary worry. But if it's the first impulse, it too readily takes precedent, precedence over the apostle's concern for his personal development in his own evangelization. And I got to tell you, that is so true. And, and, and here's how. I want you to think about this. When you hear someone proclaim the faith, teach the Catholic faith, Proclaim Jesus Christ. Present the gospel. There's a way in which their own union with Christ is also brought out into the open. Their, the, the quality and depth of their union with Jesus Christ, their passionate concern for the Lord, for uh, pursuing him, for being with him, for loving him, for uh, dwelling with him, for growing and in, in, in to know him and love him and serve him better. That Jesus is my all, right? St. Paul, for, for me, Christ is life. Death is gain, right? For me, life means Christ. Christ is, is the precious treasure. When you are listening to someone talk about Jesus and his gospel, who is living in that space, who comes from that space, who is proclaiming out of that union, it shows. It, 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 it has an impact, right? You know this when you hear a homily and they're saying all the right words. The priest is saying the right things. The deacon is, is speaking the church's teaching, but it just falls flat. It, it somehow lacks light and power. Now, honestly, that could be somewhat reflective on our own selves as the receivers of the gospel. But De Lubac is first saying, look, don't focus first on how do you express the gospel? Even how do you express the gospel to others? How do you uh, adapt the gospel to the, the, the circumstances and the people that you're talking to? No, he said, how do I express Christianity to myself? How do I open all the regions of my mind to it? How do I ponder what is the gospel? What does it mean that Jesus is the good news that has come from God to bring salvation to my life? What does that mean to me? It's a, it's a beautiful and a profound comment by De Lubac. And it is one worth pursuing. Somebody who I've been involved in the work of Catholic evangelization since 1989. And one of the tendencies in the Catholic world is to make the work of evangelization be associated often with a program. Implement this program, uh, do these, do this five week, this or that, uh, you know, use these resources. And if you do these things functionally, operationally, you're going to 
churn, turn the crank and you'll end up having a favorable impact. It, it, it's just the way that we Catholics have approached evangelization, at least in the last generation, it has focused more on a programmatic approach at the parish level. There are uh, exceptions to that rule, right? Focus is based, is really, is focused, is focused on relationships, discipling, uh, net national evangelization teams is focused on proclaiming Jesus and inviting kids into a relationship with Christ in a Catholic way, right? So there are exceptions, but the, the rule, and, and this is something that we need to take to heart, brothers and sisters, because we're talking about our lives. We're talking about our homes, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And in knowing Jesus, are you ravished by his love and, and find the pursuit of loving him to be a dominant concern in your life? And do you share that with your, your loved ones? There, that might be, that might be uh, a, a resolution for this year. Around, around the gospel of Jesus. All right, I'm kind of going, I'm kind of running with that one a little bit. Um, let me go back to Delu Bach because he has so much to say and I don't want to miss out on more quotes. Okay, uh, the second quote from Paradoxes of Faith, it flows very naturally from the first one and from what I shared. And I, I move around in the book, okay? He says this, when I teach my brother or sister, when I teach my brother, it is not really I who teach him, but we are both taught by God. Truth is not a good that I possess, that I manipulate and distribute as I please. It is such that in giving it, I must still receive it. In discovering it, I still have to search for it. In adapting it, I must continue to adapt myself to it. One more time. When I teach my brother is not really I who teach him, but we are both taught by God. Truth is not a good that I possess, that I manipulate and distribute as I please. It is such that in giving it, I must still receive it and discovering it. I still have to search for it and adapting it. I must continue to adapt myself to it. I just cry out amen and amen and amen. In the great blessing that I've received of doing church work over these past 34 years, when I'm standing up giving a talk, when I'm the most on, when I feel that sense of being anointed, when there's a flow, when I'm giving a talk, and, the, and the, honestly, the same is true on the radio. There's a way in which, there's, there's a, a particular level at which I'm not only speaking, but there's a way in which I'm, I'm there watching myself speak. I'm listening to myself speak because there's a way in which I do really sense, wow, that God is at work here. It's the Lord who's, who's using this talk, who's using my voice, who's using this teaching to, to be the teacher himself. So when I am truly in union with the Lord, then I can say without question, 
what De Lubac is discussing here is in fact the case. That when you are in union with the Lord and you start sharing your faith with others, you'll sense that it's the Lord who's at work in your sharing. Back with more Sound Insight in just a minute. Welcome back to the program. It is so good to be with you. So today I'm uh, reflecting, I'm sharing with you some uh, quotes from a book called Paradoxes of Faith. And it's one of the gifts I'm going to be giving you in, in days to come. I, I will have some guests on that I'll be interviewing as well about some upcoming events, including the guest you heard today, Father Wade Manises. He has this incredible retreat coming up on the Eucharist gift and sacrament at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. Uh, you hear that uh, being mentioned uh, during the program, but you also hear, you heard Father Wade today uh, on at the beginning. And it was a beautiful interview. If you missed it, please go to mycatholicfaith.org. You can listen to the podcast version of the program. And you can also um, pick up the books that I'm going to be talking about, Paradoxes of Faith. So go to mycatholicfaith.org to be able to listen to this program again in a podcast version on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, and Or you can just listen to it on mycatholicfaith.org. So Paradoxes of Faith, um, talking about how it is we're called to proclaim the gospel. Right? Here we are at the beginning of ordinary time. It's the extraordinary call that is something that might just be considered ordinary to us, which is we have been planted by God in this moment to be salt, light, and leaven. Jesus Christ intends to continue his ministry through us in the world, uh, it, it, through us to, to speak to the world, but it must begin with our own growth in our own union with Jesus Christ. But we're called to speak to the world. Which brings me to my next quote from Paradoxes of Faith. He says this, If you do not live, think, and suffer with the men of your time as one of them, in vain will you pretend when the moment comes to speak to them, to adapt your language to their ear. Now, there's something really beautiful about what De Lubac is saying here, and, and it has to do with the this concept of not only are we called upon to have this sense of union and love with Christ, we're also called to have a union in love with those among whom we live. He's not just talking about family members, but this sense of a fundamental solidarity with the people who share our humanity in this world right now. Hear the quote again and hear from that standpoint that we are called upon with the very love that Christ plants within us to be in a loving union with those to whom we are sent. If you, this is again, De Lubac, if you do not live, think, and suffer with the men of your time as one of them, in vain will you pretend when the moment comes to speak to them to adapt your language to their ear. It, it, it's um, it's the youth minister who tries to be too cool and fit in. It's the teacher who tries to just be buddy buddy with the students. It's the the parent who wants to uh, be one of the guys with the with the kids uh, with their sons and their friends, right? Uh, no, no. There's a way in which if you it, it, there's a way in which it's the Mother Teresa effect from the standpoint of St. Mother Teresa, right? 
the effect that she had when the those that had been uh, those who had been uh, uh, what's called what's the right word I'm looking for right they've been discarded they have been rejected they had been left to die on the street when they looked into Mother Teresa's eyes they did not see someone who was revulsed by them who was repelled and repulsed by them they saw someone who said I see you I know the the darkness that you're in and I'm here to say that I love you but more importantly in the midst of that darkness that you know I know that darkness as well that the God of this universe sees you and loves you and so well, we're not you and I we're not going to be Saint Teresa of Calcutta we're not going to be Saint Mother Teresa right but what was alive in her is also supposed to be alive in us. I think about this when it comes to trials and sufferings. I think about this when it comes to feeling overwhelmed, anxious, afraid, and desperate. I, it's something that I would never have said in advance or before experiencing it. But having gone through trials and tribulations in my own family, that drove me to my knees and feeling left me feeling overwhelmed, powerless and desperate, anxious and afraid that when I talk to others who are in those conditions, I am hopeful that they hear in my voice, they sense in my presence, someone who says, I know you, I, I, I know where you are. Not in the way that you know it, because you know it in accordance with your own circumstances, but I know that pain. I know that suffering. I know that trial. And I'm here to say, I know that the Lord God is a faithful God and he will see you through. And so that's part of our call as well. It's not simply to step apart from the world to be with Christ and never come back to the world. But guess what? In the heart of Christ, you're going to discover the deepest burdens, darknesses, fears, and sufferings of the world. So that when you go speak to them, it won't be with some kind of false external adaptation, but there'll be an interior sense of, he gets me. He knows me. I, what I'm going through somehow, he, he can relate to. This is not foreign to him. So uh, again, De Lubach. All right, let's keep pushing forward. Uh, paradoxes of faith. Now, this is going to be that reality of stepping back. He says, there is no serious study without a withdrawal, a temporary refusal, which may look like a desertion, an evasion. It is, however, not by keeping au courant with daily facts or by discussing the slogans of the man on the street and the latest formulations of current objection that you live in your time and prepare for action. So he's making the point that I just said in many more words than he just said it. <laughs> we have to step apart from the world in order to truly understand the world. But we truly come to understand the world when we understand the world in God in the heart of Christ. So step apart, ponder, reflect, but in that communion with Christ, you're going to come to a deeper understanding of the pain and suffering of the world. 
So this is Tom Carn today on Insight. I am reflecting with you on a beautiful book, Paradoxes of Faith, published by Ignatius Press, written by Cardinal Henri de Lubac. It doesn't read like uh, beginning to end. Uh, you know, here's this development of of uh, of a of a teaching on a topic. No, it's he's talking about these paradoxes of faith, these these different aspects of church's teaching that that. Uh, these truths and insights regarding not just church's teaching, but living the faith that stretch us and strain us. And, um, and so he, uh, I'm sharing this with you so that you'll have some, some, uh, some sustenance, some nourishment to ponder in your day to day as you strive to live as a disciple. Okay. I've got two more quotes and my time is running short. Any culture is disinterested. All contemplation is also. But from this disinterestedness, all real influence flows. It comes as a result. It could not be a goal. Now, I'm going to hold on to that word influence. Influence means what? That there's a way in which you're moving people to go into a direction. And the idea of being an influencer today is a really big deal, right? They talk about these social influencers who are trying to get people to go in a direction. And, and there are people who will take actions like buying a certain kind of uh, water cup, the Stanley cup, or buying certain kind of shoes or, or certain makeup. These are really big deals for the younger generation. But if you truly want to have an impact that moves the people in a direction, it is, in the words of Henri de Lubac, disinterested, meaning it lacks any sense of striving to be an influencer. That's not the point. That's not the reason I'm doing it. It's like Mother Teresa. She didn't do it to say, someone's got to give an example so that everybody else will do it. That is not going to be very influential versus live it intensely, do it. And as you do it, You'll magnet you radiantly, it'll shine forth and magnetically pull others into the same work. And so, how do we grow deeper? How do we draw people to Christ? Contemplation. By going deeper into Christ, we become more radiant and therefore magnetic to Jesus Christ Himself. Last quote Nothing fruitful is achieved in the order of mind. By utilitarian pursuits, we must repudiate all pragmatic uh, preoccupations if we want to obtain substantial and durable fruits. What's his point? His point is you pursue something because it's true and good and beautiful in and of itself. Not because if I do all of this, I'm going to be more effective over here. It will undermine the very reality of bearing fruit. My hope is to help this have you bear fruit. I'm out of time. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.